You may want to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 again this morning. Hold your finger there. Sports Illustrated called it the touchdown of the year. Local newspapers said it was the play of the year. Sports stations across the country broadcasted it. It was a story of Jeff Porter, 17-year-old young man who attended Northwest High School in McDermott, Ohio. Jeff had, or Jake rather, had uh, chromosomal fragile X syndrome, which is one of the leading causes of mental retardation. He could not read. He had great difficulty even writing his own name. But he was a faithful member of the football team. He never missed a practice. He was always there. The coach of Northwest team, Dave France, thought it would be nice to do something very special for Jake in the last game. They were playing Waverly High School, crosstown rival. And so they uh, called each other. They called the, he called the other coach and he said, I would like for Jake to take the last play of the game. I want to give him the ball, and he'll touch his knee down to the ground. And if you're a football fan, you know that when that happens, the ball is dead, and nobody touches you. And he said, if the game is not close, I'd like to have that done. Sports Illustrated picks up the story from there. Waverly is way ahead, 42 to nothing. Five seconds to go in the game. Call timeout. Coaches go and they meet at midfield. Jake runs out to the huddle. He gets the play. The football is snapped. And Jake starts to take his knee down, but the team members say, no, 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 run, run. And he ran. The only problem, he ran in the opposite direction. <laughs> the head coach in the back, the umpire, got him turned around toward the line of scrimmage. When he came to the line of scrimmage, the football team parted as if a king was coming through and made a big hole for him. And he ran. The crowd was cheering. Mothers were crying in the audience, and fathers were cheering him on, and both sides had their helmets in the air, waving them and cheering him on to victory. And he ran for a touchdown. What happened was when the coaches met at midfield, Coach France reminded Coach DeWitt that they were to give the ball to him, and he was to take a knee. And Coach DeWitt said, no. I don't want him to take a knee. I want him to score. And Coach France said, no, that's not our agreement. He said, no, I want him to score. And so young Jake had the play of his life as he scored a touchdown. That story helps to illustrate something for us of the text today. Like Coach DeWitt, 
God doesn't want you just to play the game of life and to touch your knee down after you get the ball. He wants you to score a touchdown in your spiritual life. And that's what Romans chapter 8, verse 34 following is all about. God enables the Christian to be more than conquerors in their spiritual life. We conquer because of our relationship with God. Let's read verses 31 through 34. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. God is for us. God is for us. The text says, if God be for us, then who can be against us? Now, the book of Romans, in the first part of the book, first three chapters in particular, is setting the stage that all of us have sinned. Paul goes into the fact that the Jews had sinned, and then he goes into the fact that the Gentiles have sinned. And in chapter 3, verse 23, he says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But he doesn't leave us there. Chapter 4 is about faith, and chapter 5 and 6 is about the grace of God as it comes to redeem us. In chapter 6, verse 23, he says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the death of Christ on the cross that we celebrated this morning and the resurrected Christ gives us freedom from sin and helps us to be conquerors of sin. I am here today to tell you that you don't have to live and wallow in sin after you come to Christ. There is a philosophy that says you've got to sin more or less every day. And I know that I'm human and I know that I'm going to do things that are not necessarily right. But I do not willfully sin against what I know is God's plan for my life. I don't have to go there. Because I am more than conquerors. God is for us. He's given us the power to become what He wants us to be in our spiritual life. And so... When difficulty comes, I, I know that God's against sin in my life, but I, I know that He is always for me. Always for me. When difficulties and trials come our way, you simply remember the text that says, since God is for us, who can be against us? So God is for us. And the next thing I understand is that God gives us all things. Look at verse 32. Living Bible translation says, since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God who gave us Christ also give us everything else? That's wonderful, isn't it? God is here to meet your need. And the evidence of that is in the fact that he did not spare the very best thing that he had in the, all, all of his, all the universe. 
He gave us the most valuable gift that he could possibly give, and that was his son. All of us know how valuable our children are to us most of the time. There are some days that you might consider doing that, but not normally. We love our children. We'd give our own life before we would let our child's life be taken. But God loved us so much that he gave his only son so that he came into the world to give us life, but not just life, to help us to change to become the person that we want to be. John Rogers taught at the Virginia Episcopal Seminary. One night, he got a call from a young man that had been in his parish. I think it was in the state of Iowa. His family had been staunch members of the church and been very active in the church. And this young man had uh, gotten into the drug culture and he was away from his family, hadn't seen his family for a long period of time. And he, he just was having a tough time, no work, no money. And he called and thought maybe his pastor could help him that night. He was in desperate need. And so John got in his car and drove through the snowy streets to Washington, D.C., to a bus station. And he picked the young man up, took him home. And as they talked that night, finally, Pastor John said to him, Have you ever asked Jesus to help you? The young man said, No, I haven't thought for a moment he said you know when I get myself together and when I get back in church I think I'll ask Christ to help me John couldn't let that go he said it'll never happen that way son it'll simply never happen that way you'll never get yourself together by yourself you've got to come to Christ just as you are with your drug abuse with all of your problems, with your disbelief, with whatever you have. And you've got to give yourself to Christ first. And when you give yourself to Christ, then He will give you the strength to change yourself. Capture this thought if you would. God will help you immensely in your spiritual life. But you've got to come to Jesus first and let Him rule your life. He'll help you immensely. When you take Jesus, you take the best of everything that God has to give you. As another thing the text says, God defends us. Look at verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. The idea behind that verse is a court of law. If you have a pair of pants that you take to the laundry or to the cleaners and they don't return it and you sue for $50 million <laughs> and you're a judge, you ought to know better. But nevertheless, you, you go before, if someone brings a charge against you, you go before a judge and the judge makes the determination, makes the final decision. In Zechariah chapter 3 is the story of the high priest Joshua who's standing before an angel of the Lord and Satan is there making accusations against him. Joshua's clothes are filthy, they're dirty, they're ragged. And Satan is just accusing him. 
And in that, in chapter 3, verse 2, the Lord comes and, and takes up his case. Here's what he says. The Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusation, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. Now, in the following verses, we discover that the Lord takes Joshua's old dirty set of clothes and he gives him a brand new set of clothing. Every person, every believer will stand before God one day and Satan is going to be there making accusations against you. He's going to say, remember Norm Patton? You remember when he did this? You remember when he did that? You remember when he did this awful thing? God will say, no, I don't remember that. That's not written down in my book. Well, yeah, but he did. I took those to the cross, and I don't remember those anymore. I don't accuse him. And I rebuke you for accusing him. Look at verse 33 through 35. New Living Translation says, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Will God? No. He's the one who has given us right standing with himself. Who will then condemn us? Will Christ Jesus? No. For he is the one who died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God, pleading for us. So he defends us. He takes up our case. And he says, I declare Norm Patton innocent. I pardoned him for all of those things. But not only does he defend us, that verse says that he intercedes for us. He's an advocate for us. He makes intercession. In the same chapter of Romans, back in about verse 25, he says, The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. When I'm hurting, when I'm going through some difficulty, I don't know how to pray. I wish I could put the words together. I'm just hurting too much. The Spirit at that moment is interceding for me with groanings that cannot be uttered. He's making my case for me. Chapter 8, verse 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so Satan can accuse me. There's no condemnation in my life because of what Christ has done for me. Am I perfect? Have I done things wrong? Yes. But he's taken the condemnation. Now, in verses 35 through 39, we conquer because God is with us in adversity. Song was about that this morning. Verse 35 says... Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? Preacher's Outline Sermon Commentary says too many people, even believers, feel that God does not love them. They just can't believe that God would love them. For after all, they are unworthy of His love. They fall far too short of his expectations for them. They are disobedient at times. And they just fail so often in their lives. And so many people just can't, can't accept the fact that God would love them. How could God possibly love them when they seem to go against his will at times? 
And so the result of that is their feelings are a sense of unworthiness, a sense of loneliness, a sense of putting oneself down, a sense of discouragement, a sense of accusing oneself, a sense of low self-esteem, a defeated life. And as a result, such feelings, I'm here to tell you, are not scriptural. It's not where God wants you to be at all. Who will separate us from the love of God? Nothing. There's no circumstance. There is no situation. There is no event in your life that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, Christ loves the believer regardless of the circumstance. He longs, he longs to reconcile us to himself always and forever. Let's look at that for a moment. Will tribulation separate you from... What's tribulation? Well, it's, it's to undergo struggle. It's to have trials. It's to face temptations. It's to face suffering and affliction. Will tribulation separate you from the love of God? No, not at all. There's distress. That means to suffer anguish. To be stressed out, to face trouble, to have strain, to face agony not knowing what to do, which way to turn. Will stress and distress separate you from the love of Christ? No, not at all. Persecution. That means to be abused and mocked and ridiculed and shamed and mistreated and ignored. It means to be rejected and harassed and injured. Will persecution separate you from the love of God? Not at all. Famine, that means to have no food, to be without the resources of getting food. Will that separate you from the love of God? No. Nakedness means to be stripped of your clothing, to stripped of all earthly possessions, to, be, to have nothing, to have all your possessions taken away. Will that separate you from the love of God? No, if it did, there'd be so many people around the world who would not have his love. Peril means to be exposed to the most severe risk, to be confronted with the most terrible dangers to your body, your mind, your soul, your family, your loved ones. Will that separate you? No. The sword or martyrdom? No, that won't separate you. Paul had many of those things happen in his life. Just imagine someone having some of those horrible things happening in their life, and what would their thoughts be? Would they think, where is God? Why has God forsaken me? Does God really love me? In, in this time of dark trouble, would, would they believe that God loved them? Scripture clearly says to us that in all circumstances, God loves us. That young boy who was out with drug abuse in the story, God loved him when he was taking drugs. For the family that's going through terrible things with children, God loves you and he loves your children. For those who are involved in sexual abuse, God loves you during those times. He doesn't withdraw his love from you. You may be estranged and away from him, but he loves you in the midst of all of those things. God is a God of love. So no matter what's happening to you, 
no matter how dark and depressing life may be, no matter how severe you may feel it is in your life, nothing can separate the believing child of God from God's love. Circumstances are not the evidence that God does not love you. God loves you no matter what the circumstances are. And in fact, we all face adversity. Everybody in this room has faced adversity. Adversity is not the evidence of God's absence, but it's the evidence of God's presence. Because you see, in our experiences, in our experience of brokenness, God is, is the one who shows us in those times most surely that His character of salvation is working because God is working out our salvation in brokenness, the brokenness of Christ's body on the cross. Our brokenness that brought us to Christ, that caused us to take up His cross. He meets us at the place of brokenness. Now, there is a way to accept and embrace and deal with adversity that results in a better life. Got a couple of stories. Charles Allen, a great Methodist preacher, told about a young man who was lame. One leg was bad, and he was selling books one summer house to house. Came on the porch, knocked on the door of one woman, and she came to the door, and he tried to sell her a book, and she said, no, I'm not interested in buying your book. As he turned to walk away, he was dragging his foot. It's obvious he was lame and struggled hard, had a hard struggle to walk. And she said, oh, I didn't notice you were lame. Come back, and I'll buy a book. And he said, uh, ma'am, I'm not selling sympathy. I'm selling books. They got to talking a little bit. Finally, she said, doesn't lameness color your life? He said, oh, yes, it colors my life. But he said, I get to choose the color. When some people face adversity, they choose the color blue that leads to depression. Some people choose the color yellow. They run from it. Some choose the color red, strength. Stamina. They stand up and they face the adversity. You get to choose the color. We are more than conquerors in our adversity. More than conquerors. The text says, this is a good one for you to memorize, verse 37. It says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. It's a good thing to underscore the more. We're not just conquerors. You need to understand, we are not the conquerors. It's Jesus Christ in us that is the conqueror. We don't just then conquer, we are more than conquerors. And to conquer means to subdue, to overcome, to gain a surpassing victory, to prevail. So it's not just getting by, it's overcoming with great victory daughter came to her father one day and said, Dad, I, I just, things are hard for me. I have one set of difficulties. I just get over those, and I get into another set of difficulties, and life is just really, really hard. I am so tired of struggling. Her father was a chef, so he said, come into the kitchen with me. He got out three pots, 
filled each pot full of water, set it on the stove, turned the burners up to high on each of those three pots, and just waited for them to come to a boil. Didn't say anything. In one of the pots, he put some carrots. In another pot, he put some eggs. And in a third pot, he put some ground coffee beans. She was a little disgusted, trying to find out what in the world is he saying. He's not talking to me. Patiently waited for them to come to a boil again. And after they came to a boil, he said, What do you see? She said, I see carrots and eggs and coffee. Brilliant girl. He said, come a little closer. He took the carrots out, put them in a bowl. Took the eggs out, put it in a bowl. Took the coffee out, put it in a bowl. He said, I want you to touch the carrots. She touched the carrots and they were soft. He said, I want you to break open the egg. She peeled the egg off and broke it open, and it was hard-boiled. And he said, I want you to take a sip of the coffee. Smelled good. And she smiled as she took a sip of the sweet-smelling aroma of the coffee. He said, Dad, I don't understand. What are you trying to say? He said, well, when the carrots went into the boiling water, they were hard and firm and strong. But the boiling water made them soft and weak. The egg had a thin shell that protected the inside liquid, but when it went into the water, it came out of the water hard on the inside. The coffee beans are unique in that they changed the water. Wow. Then he said, which are you when you face adversity? Do you go in hard and come out soft and weak? Do, do you go in with a thin shell and come out, you're soft on the, come out hard? Do you change the adversity? This text says that you and I are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Listen to verse 38. And I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, our fears for today, our worries for tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away from us. Nothing shall separate us from his love. So, if you're going through a great temptation, a strong trial, a sickness, whatever it may be you go through, I'm not telling you that it will be easy, but I am telling you that we are more than conquerors because Christ has made us that. Not we ourselves, but he gives us the strength to be victorious in our living. That, my friend, is great news. Father, 
I thank you that you have made these provisions for us. We can hardly believe that you take our weaknesses and make us strong, that you give us power in this life to become everything that you desire us to be. Lord, help us not to let the circumstances of life mold us and shape us, but help us to become like the coffee that will change the circumstances of the waters of life. Some people here today may be struggling with all of this, may need that added surge of power to help them to know that they are more than conquerors. Grant that to them today in the strong name of Christ. Amen. Would you stand?